Podcast Network Asia. If you failed in school, the teacher would always tell you, "Oh, sige, mga matis ka na lang, mga moti ka na lang, mga labasa ka na lang." It's really about changing that mindset. So if you're a regular Filipino, your choice is very important, and try to educate yourselves how important farming is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Digital Impact. This is Patrick Manessis, Chief Data and Analytics Officer at MDI Navari Technologies and host of this series, We Built This City, Reimagining Cities for a Smarter Future. In this episode, we have a very interesting guest. Joining us today is Cherry Etilano, President and Farmer of Agrea Philippines, a highly innovative, inclusive, for-purpose agribusiness that is founded on sustainable agriculture, fair trade, and a replicable model of an agro-based economy. At the very young age of 12, Cherry started teaching farmers. She has 22 years of experience in sustainable food systems. She's also finished magnum cum laude at Visayas State University with a BS in agriculture, a major in horticulture specializing on tissue cultures. She's widely recognized and awarded for her work in agriculture. Cherry led Agrea in winning the UN Global Compact, the Global Responsible Business Award in 2017 for agricultural excellence, and the fourth ASEAN Rural Poverty Eradication Leadership Award in 2019. Here to talk about our food sources, let's all welcome Cherry Tilano. Cherry, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Patrick. That's a very generous um, introduction, I must say. (laughs) I think you did a little bit of research about my life, and yeah. That's generous of you. Well, I'm, I'm sure uh, from hearing about you from Angel and some of the rest of the team and then doing my own research, it's just a small snippet of your resume. This show is only an hour. <laughs> so really, uh, you know, there's a lot more to talk about and I'm sure a lot more stories for you to share. So how are you doing today? How do you, I'm sure you're keeping yourself actually quite busy during this pandemic now. Yeah, actually, I'm so happy, right? Uh, a lot of people are, you know, asking what they want to do. Me, I'm so occupied since the day one of the lockdown, I guess. Uh, and what keeps me busy on a daily basis, I really keep myself fit. So um, I eat healthy, I exercise every day, and I have so many plants around. I have a lot of ornamentals to take care. At the same time, I plant vegetables. So since March, I've been growing my food in the rooftop overbuilding. Wow. That keeps me busy because there are all my babies. I'm taking care of them because they give me food. Aside from that, um, running the agriculture business during this pandemic has been challenging because most of our farmers are actually all over the Philippines. And mm-hmm. logistics is such a nightmare. So <laughs> it keeps me busy on the phone the whole day. I imagine it it does. And we're going to get into a lot of some of the challenges that our farmers here locally uh, are facing both before the pandemic, and I'm interested in hearing a little bit about some of the new challenges during the pandemic. But before we get into that, can you tell us briefly about Agraria, what that organization is a little bit more about, and what your role is as the founding farmer? Yes, yeah, so Agraria is actually a fusion of two words, agriculture and Gaia, a Greek word for Mother Earth, because we always believe that food production should not, you know, hamper the environment, right? It will not a damage our environment. So we said, oh, let's focus on the growth of Mother Earth while we grow food. And me as a founding par- uh, farmer, 
my life before the pandemic, I'm always uh, in the farms. Two weeks, uh, I live in Marinduque Island, and then another week, I live in Shergao Island because that's where our farms mostly are located, and also in Bacolod. So I was island hopping <laughs> because Agrea's vision is to actually build the first one island economy in the Philippines. So it's such a grand vision, I must say, but then. You know, we have 7,107 islands and we're always saying that why we don't have food in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. We really don't deserve to be hungry, you know, as Filipinos because we have so much land. We have, I think, 12 million hectares of underproductive land in the Philippines. But most of those lands are in the rural areas. So Mm -hmm. we coined the one island economy as the vision of Agrea, focusing Mm -hmm. on how do we build every island in the Philippines based on sustainable agriculture. Mm-hmm. And how do we focus on enabling and dignifying our farmers? So I think second point I will share about Agrea is we we coined this ecology of dignity and cultivation of human being. Mm-hmm. You know, that ecology of dignity is actually building the ecology of respect and dignity to our food producers. Because for me as a founding farmer, I find it a crime against humanity that the mm-hmm. producers of the food in the food chain, the farmers and the fisher folks are the poorest, the hungriest, and the most malnourished. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's really about cultivation of human being because agriculture for the longest time, nationally in the Philippines and globally, it's always about the measure of yield, mm-hmm. the measure of income based on yield. It's very transactional. Mm-hmm. What we like to do is how can we focus on the people behind food production? You know, how can we cultivate the human being behind the production so that they can be more aware farmers, they can be more mindful farmers, and in such a way, they are our major connector to the environment so that we can create a sustainable agriculture. They really are the unspoken heroes, aren't they? I mean, I, you know, I almost feel ashamed just hearing you say it and thinking about, gosh, when was the last time I was eating a meal and, and really enjoying it and loving it? And I was thinking maybe I was at a restaurant, the chef. Or I was thanking the waiter that brought it, or I was thanking, you know, the person I was enjoying it with. But I wasn't thinking about the person that produced it. And that that really is quite shameful, isn't it? So uh, really, gosh, thank you uh, and the farmers of this country for looking out for us and reminding us about the humanity of sustenance and why it's so very important. But before we get into that as well, I want to talk a little bit about this at a very young age of 12 teaching farmers at 12 you know i think i was (laughs) counting my thumbs and going one two and you're teaching farmers how did you get into the the industry of farming at such a young age like what what drove you there can you tell us a little bit about that oh patrick wow memory lane huh (laughs) Um, i grew up in a farm in a sugarcane farm in negros occidental basically in silai city and my parents were into sugarcane farming uh, way back so growing up in a farm, I was always asking myself why a lot of people in the farm are not going to school, right? Why they don't deserve to, to really have a decent life. And every weekend, my mom uh, sent me to a scholarship center. Basically, this center trains you how to learn how to cook, how to bake, how to grow your own food, mm-hmm. how to crochet, how to embroider, really like home economics kind of teaching on a weekend because my mom said, you're a girl. And you need to learn about this home economics. But in that center, there is a book there. And for me, I read a lot of books uh, since I guess I was young. There's a book. It says Biointensive Gardening. And then I read that book. The first page was so striking. It says, if you're poor, 100% of your income goes to food. 
70% goes to rice because if you're Filipino, it's not a meal without rice. <laughs> and 30% goes to your ulam, you know, to partner with rice. But if you know how to plant vegetables, you can save that 30%. And basically, you know, that saving, maybe you can use it to send your children to school or have a roof on your head. So for an 11 years old, I was like, this is so fascinating. I went home. I really went home. I don't know what happened to me. I guess I, I really believe that I'm so lucky. I'm this young person who never really experienced midlife crisis because at a young age, I think I know what I wanted. Yeah. And I went home. I told my mom, I said, mom, I need a bike for my birthday. I'm turning 12 in September. That was July. And then my mom said, what? Why do you need a bike? That was my first business pitch to my mom. Mm. And then I said, I want to teach farmers. So my mom was so shocked. I said, <laughs> he said, she said, why? Here's the book I was reading in a scholarship center. I borrowed it for you to understand why you need to give me a bike. So to make the story short, my mom gave me a bike. Uh, she helped me to prepare wow. my flip charts. Wow. Uh, Patrick, way back, uh, the calendars are so humongous. It's yeah. like a big flip chart, right? Yeah. From bank. So my mom gave it to me. It became like my flip chart where, where I write. And then I bike to Sari Sari store <laughs> weekend because every weekend, all these farmers are drinking vino colapho, yeah. you know, tuba and whatnot, yeah. right? So I was always telling them, uh, you want to listen to me? I'll teach you how to make money. And I'll teach yeah. you how to grow food from this book. So I just like, you know, teaching, <laughs> teaching. And I, I, I thought it wasn't effective. But it took me three years to realize it, that what I was doing every weekend was effective. Because during my graduation, I remember a lot of farmers mm. attended the graduation. Mm. And they attended my party. And uh. Uh, I'm shy, but you know, when I was delivering my valedictory address, because my mom said, you need to be a class valedictorian because you need to be a doctor and your aunt will petition you and you'll go to the Filipino <laughs> <laughs> mother. Yes, of course. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I was really like listening to, I was speaking, delivering my valedictory address and I was crying because farmers arrived with congratulations, our teacher. I was 15 years old. After that, I went down on stage and I told my mom, I will study agriculture. Oh. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine at that age having touched that many lives and improved already that many people's quality of life is absolutely incredible. Wow. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm quite jealous. Uh, I had a similar history, but not nearly as entertaining. I also grew up on a farm. Actually, not really. I grew up next to a farm in the middle of the United States in uh, the Midwest uh, suburbs where nothing was there except for our houses and cornfields everywhere. And yeah. I can tell you why your story is so remarkable because I didn't think one thing about the corn <laughs> right at the end of the day. And here you are, you know, living, breathing, really delivering it at such a young age. And yet I grew up with it my entire life and never thought about, wow, that really wonderful corn that we barbecue every single weekend. How great is it? And how is it made? Or how is it, you know, how is it transported or any of that? So such an incredible story. So playing the dum-dum here in the call, I'm really excited about our conversation to learn more about what some of the fundamental problems are 
with farming and agriculture in the Philippines. So maybe we can jump into that a little bit because I really want to understand, is it the economics, as you were saying earlier, because everything is so economical or transactional focused? Is it even the supply chain? Is the middleman's throughout the years and generations really manipulating and driving the system? Uh, Why does it seem, just a common sense question, why does it seem that fresh organic foods are actually more expensive and harder to find? than corned beef or corn products or corned vegetable. It's it's so unnatural to me. Why is that? You know, if I enumerate to you the problems in agriculture, I think we'll not finish tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to give you a bit of background, right? Philippines is such a broken economy, especially in agriculture, because we're separated in islands. Logistics-wise, it's such a big problem. You know, shipping goods from Mindanao to your consumer base, for example, which is Metro Manila, will take a lot of resources to make it happen. Another one is we have 20 to 21 typhoons, you know, visiting us and courting us every year. And we don't know how to survive. I call it Santa Cruzan of typhoon Mm -hmm. every year. And aside from that, um, of course, we we really forgot to take care of our farmers, right? Mm -hmm. If the country is poor, it's because we forgot to take care of our farmers, our food producers. We have a lot of farmers that they don't have access to capitalization. They don't have access to even, you know, proper land title, titling, right? They are smallholder farmers. Some of them are recipient of the agrarian reform. But after that, they don't have know-how, how to really make their land productive. So they're becoming poorer than before. And then another one, they don't have access to market. So traders are coming in, manipulating the market, which most of the traders are also the one doing the supply of seeds, the supply of farm inputs, and will dictate the price. So at the end of the day, the farmers are producing are at the mercy of trader because whatever price the trader is having, of course, the farmers will just follow that because we didn't have information what's really the price in the market. So that lack of information is also a cost of manipulating the people in the ground, right? And another one, we don't have warehouses, logistics not present, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, When you see a lot of our farmers, for example, just in Baguio, they bring their produce in Metro Manila, they put it in Jeepney, your cabbage, which is like so big, Mm -hmm. you know, a size, for example, as our heads, Mm -hmm. it arrives in Manila, it's just a size of our fist because... Mm -hmm. Of all the post-harvest loss, uh, Philippine agriculture is experiencing, I think, 30 to 40% post-harvest loss. Wow. And most losses, the farmers are shouldering it, you know. Gosh. So it's so broken that it needs to have a collective mm-hmm. effort, collective action, and collective consciousness to really focus on solving this problem mm. in agriculture. It is quite uh, quite complex, is it not? So that is just the start, folks. Thank you for giving us a glimpse, uh, Cherry, of this. Uh, let's dive down a little bit deeper in this next segment to talk a little bit about how we solve some of those problems. You're listening to My Digital Impact. My Digital Impact. Okay, now in this podcast, we talk about how we envision a smart city uh, by dissecting different aspects of what makes a smart city. The citizen experience is definitely one of the big themes, Cherry, we've hit on the three episodes we've done so far. Connectivity, transportation. Uh, You talked a little bit about some of those fundamental challenges with distribution, warehousing, and transportation. And now food systems. They're all interrelated to each other, as you can see. Before we get to that, let me ask you a big, big, big question. Is the Philippines even ready for smart agriculture? Are we ready for smart city and smarter farming? 
Are there more fundamental problems we need to solve first before this type of change in investment can even happen? Or can there actually be things happening in parallel as we work towards a smarter city, a smarter agriculture, along with fixing some of the fundamental basic problems that we have? What do you think? I think, you know, in... I'll give you first a context of smart agriculture, right? Because it's fairly about, it's a new term in agriculture, basically, where we use about Internet of Things, sensors, robots, you know, artificial intelligence in the agriculture sector on farm or in the supply chain. I would like to answer to you that it's ready on the consumer side, but it's not ready on the production side. Why? During this pandemic, I guess, um, the Philippines has been experiencing mushrooming of online platform where a lot of us stuck in our home are basically ordering food through online. And among all those online, everyone is selling vegetables, fruits, you know, meat products, rice. No one, I think, was really busy selling, you know, uh, unnecessary things, right, during the pandemic. So in terms of smart agriculture use in the supply chain and in consumer, we're ready as a country because we have a very young population. Our population is 23 years old, average age. So the kind of population is our consumer base. So they're techie, they use cell phone. You can even put robots in supply chain in the future. You can put robots in warehouses, maybe in the future. But if you talk about the farm, an on-farm we're not that ready, Patrick. That's the honest truth. Why? I'll give you a context. The average age of farmers in the Philippines is 60 years old. Wow. Their average educational attainment is grade four or a 10-year-old boy in school. Mm. You have a 60-year-old farmer that when you give them a cell phone, they're so afraid with that. They would even like tell, mom, that's a radio. You know, they're mm. still in a context of having a radio, right? And second one is, we are a country of small holding farmers. You know, the average land size of our farmer is only 1 to 1.2 hectares per farmer. So if you talk about Internet of Things and sensorizing the farms, it's too expensive to sensorize the farm. The farmers cannot even afford to, to, to buy seeds. Why do I buy sensor, mm. Right. They cannot even afford to buy organic fertilizer. Why do I, why, why do I buy a robot to, to farm? Mm. We have 17 million farmers in the Philippines that they will lose their job if we are not wise enough that, for example, doing smart agriculture, massive mechanic, mechanization or robotics in farming will displace them from employment. Mm-hmm. So that's the context on the production or on farm, you know. But after that, if you go for from post-harvest to supply chain and value chain to consumerism, definitely we're ready as a country. So in that context, if we're talking about smart cities, we can build a smart city because we have a ready population to adopt that. And that population, the consumer side, they're actually key in changing agriculture. The information now that you can gather based on consumerism, when we plow it back to our farmers, we'll give them an idea of guidance on production. Because most of the time, our farmers right now are planting based on what their neighbor is planting. But if the consumer, and we gather all this data from the consumer side, consolidate it, the algorithm, fix it, plow it back to the production side, we have now a very good and guided uh, agricultural production where food waste is managed. We have no shortage of food. 
and the prices of vegetables and fruits, for example, will really be manageable. I imagine just like anything in technology, uh, it's easier said than done, right? I think the systems to do that and the infrastructure to do that probably are still going to remain a challenge. Let me ask a fundamental question on that, just so I understand. Do we have a, a food production problem as a whole in the country? Are we producing more food than we actually need? Because obviously you don't have to drive around in the Philippines to see that people are still hungry. So there's still, obviously that's a distribution problem, maybe not a production problem, but as a whole, if we just look at production as a whole and we figured out ways to do smarter demand management, smarter distribution in that infrastructure loop that you're actually talking about, would we even have the right levels of production as a whole to sustain the country independently? No, we don't have enough production. Rice alone, which is our number one grain, the number one staple we're importing, right? We don't have enough for production, uh, even though a lot of people would always tell me, chairs, technology can solve that. Technology has been there. We have so many research in terms of production. We have so many research in terms of supply chain and logistics, right? But where are those? Where are those data? We don't use that data in a wiser context on how we can actually increase our production. Mm -hmm. So when you go to the farmer side, there's always very little production. Our land, uh, they're not optimized in the process. Mm -hmm. And second one, I guess, because most of our farmers didn't have capital to, to even cultivate their land. Our Philippines is always like a family farm kind of approach. You know, you receive one hectare of land from agrarian reform, for example, and then the entire family is toiling that land to make it happen, right? But at the end of the day, if you want to reach a certain kind of production, they don't have access to proper technology. Mm -hmm. so like, for example, in the rice farming communities that I visited in the islands you operate, I was asking a farmer, Tatay, where do you get your seeds? Oh, this is the seeds that my lolo got it from the lolo and got it from the lolo. Oh my goodness, we're talking about 20th century and your seeds is like you're 70 years old right now. Your <laughs> seeds has been so obsolete. We have, you know, changes in climate, changes in soil health, changes in water, and you're still using that seed that your great grand lolo uh, was using, right? Another one, I guess, is we lack investment on infrastructure mm. hence our production is so little you know aside from we don't have a lot of rivers in the philippines uh i don't like to compare a country to you know the countries in the mekong delta but they're so lucky thailand vietnam they have the mekong delta that can give so much water to their farms mm -hmm. in the philippines somehow we have rivers you know in different islands but building that infrastructure how this water from the river would reach the farm we're missing in that big time. So the lack of infrastructure, the lack of support to the farmers, at the same time, the post-harvest loss after that is definitely making us insufficient. Yeah, it really is uh, sort of the, the perfect storm of problems mashed together that really handicap uh, the production, isn't it? You know, I think in, in my past life, before I moved here to the Philippines, I was working for a company who was actually founded creating data and analytics to improve uh, harvest yields for the USDA. It's a company called SAS Analytics. They're founded over 44 years ago. And our co-founder, our owner, 
he got a grant from the USDA because he himself was a farmer, but he also happened to be a mathematician and PhD. And he got a grant from the USDA to say, hey, can you create some algorithms and calculations for this? And I, I raised that to you so that you could see some of the background and the passion I have on this, not from the farming side, but from the technology and data insight side. I know the power of data and analytics when you can build the infrastructure to put it in the hands of the people like the farmers to say, you, here's how you can make better erosion decisions, better decisions about improving yield and capacity, better decisions on forecasting potentially climate uh, changes and climate patterns uh, that can help you change the way you farm perhaps this season as opposed to the last season. Why is it that we can't build a consortium? I understand the economies of scale and technology is not accessible to our dear farmers today, but why can't we reach economies of scale through consortiums, through ideas of saying, look, let's create a standard and let's let's get maybe even perhaps the private and the academic sector to contribute to, to lower some of the costs of these technologies, because at the end of the day, it is what is going to improve the quality of life for everybody, not just one segment and not just the farmers, but certainly, of course, the farmers. Why hasn't that happened? Why haven't we rallied the troops behind that? What's stopping I, us? I think that's our job, Patrick. Let's do that after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> is that what we're going to do after this? <laughs> yeah, my, my gardening gloves. <laughs> yeah. So basically, you know, um, we need to work in a more collaborative way, right? And for me, in creating this uh, consortium, the government is actually necessary because the government, they have access to, to capital, right? If, if they want to focus on this and make this as a champion project, it can be done, you know? with willpower, it can be done. Because I always believe in the agriculture sector, uh, the private sector can only do so much, especially on the marketing side. But on the production side, it's really the government who can handhold and put everyone together to make it happen. Unfortunately, though, um, it's not happening. Even if you have like 48 state universities and colleges in the Philippines, we have the most beautiful research you know, in, in the country. And after that, they're not applied to farmers. They're not commercialized, right? So, for example, you know, it's it, it could have been done. For example, the research institution, they can be partnered with a company that can commercialize it. Mm-hmm. It could happen like that. But um, for sure, the consortium is happening. Uh, I've been attending a lot of meetings lately. Uh, and actually, that's a silver lining of this pandemic. You know, it's really about working together on how to make changes in the agriculture sector. Because... I think since last year, the agriculture sector is the one that is booming, you know, aside from, of course, the technology sector. But it's really booming that it kind of awakened the people in the sector to to fast track the work because, Mm -hmm. wow, this is the first time in history that agriculture has been given a a spotlight, Mm -hmm. that it's mainstreaming, right, in the urban area or even in the rural area. Everyone wanted to grow food. So this is the perfect time to capture that. And this is the perfect time to create that kind of consortium. Yeah, it's history, right? History sometimes has always told us that the greatest innovations of humanity always happen after the most adverse problems and that we have to to experience or be staked. So, and and, uh, go to maybe a partner break. Can you tell us what the average Filipino citizens can do to help the farmers? Is it making better choices at the market? Is is it shopping more? Is it creating relationships with uh, sourcing mechanisms? What can we do to actually improve this on a very small scale and on a very daily scale? 
for me, the power of choice is very important. You know, every time you go to a supermarket or an online market, I always, you know, um, remind my friends or even family members, make sure you support the local farmer. Because every time we support our local farmer, it's really trajectorizing and creating change step by step in the system, right? And another one, um, let's educate our young people that let's make farming sexy. You know, a lot of young people are not interested in agriculture. And actually, Patrick, it's also mindset. Uh, you grow up in the U.S., but in the Philippines, if you failed in school, the teacher would always tell you, oh, sige, mga matis ka na lang, mga moti ka na lang, mga labasa ka na lang. You know, pulutin ka sa kangkungan. We'll just pick you up from the, you know, swamp, uh, swimming with the, with the swamp cabbage, right? So it's really about changing that mindset. So if you're a regular Filipino, your choice is very important. And try to educate yourselves how important uh, farming is and the contribution of our farmers to us, right? If you're a mother or a father, try to educate your children that tomatoes are not coming from supermarket. Because I was teaching kids before, and every time I was in the farm, they're they're asking, oh, we tomatoes, we got it from the supermarket. We we don't get it from a plant. So that education alone is such a powerful tool to actually change people's mindsets since they're young. Right. The exposure is important. Those are such great lessons. I hope our audience really takes them to heart. I'll I'll end on this. In our first episode, uh, Cherry, we had on Third Domingo, who's a major player in the advertising industry, but he's also a side farmer. And he was sharing a story when we we're think, talking about his farm and talking about the citizen experience and how we can improve the citizen experience in the new smart city future. And he shared a very magical personal story about when his young son, I think he was only about two years old, ate a fresh vegetable for the very first time, tasted it for the first, first time. And the look on his son's face lit up so broad that Third knew that for every day of his son's life, that's the experience he wants. He wants to replicate that type of purity, that type of enjoyment to his son uh, going forward. And that came from fresh food right from the ground that 30 literally just go ahead and wiped off. So that's an incredible, powerful experience. And hopefully uh, for the folks that are listening, you you hear those listens that Cherry shared with us just now, and we take it to heart and see if we can make a bit of a movement. But for now, I'm really excited about talking more about agriculture and farming with Cherry. Regardless of your economic background, this is something that's so vital for all of us. We're talking about food, where we get it, how we get it, and how we can do a lot better. Uh, Let's take a break and hear a message from our partner. We'll be right back. Cisco is happy to be part of this podcast. Cisco's number one priority is partner profitability. And now, more than ever, Cisco is driven to meet customers' needs and to help transform their business to adapt to the new environment. MDI Novare works together with Cisco to meet the commitment of helping organizations prepare for the digital future. Email us at insidesales at mdi.net.ph and let's start working together. We are back. Gosh, you know, we are so lucky to have some of the greatest partners. Today, we are sponsored by Cisco IoT, a major player in the innovation of things uh, field of uh, industries. So again, this is Patrick of MDI Navari Technologies. I'm joined here by Cherry Atilano of Agrea Philippines. 
Hope you're having a great time, Cherry. Let's get a little bit deeper into the world of agriculture if we can. So can you tell us a little bit about what Agrea is actually doing in terms of programs, initiatives? Like what are those key levers that you're trying to pull there at Agrea to make sure that we're making major change here in the farming industry? Oh, such a beautiful question, Patrick. I think I'll tell you a bit of story what brought me here. And this story is something that I really carry in my heart. I remember one time I was helping to build a farm in its enchanted farm of God Kaling and Bulacan. And eight months before that, I was supposed to be in the U.S. for a Fulbright scholarship. I think I was so blessed. Wow. <laughs> I wow. got a principal grant in Fulbright. And I said to myself, oh, eight months from now, I will stay in this farm and helping this not farmers to be farmers. And those people were ex-convicts. Most of them, if you need to, they're paid to, to kill people, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them. Yeah. And But for me, human being, there's always one person good, even if how bad that person is. And mm-hmm. if I can build in that goodness of a person, uh, that person will change. So I immerse myself in that farm. And every day, I would always talk to the farmers. Why do you have a lot of tattoos in your body? I said, oh, these are the names of people I killed. And I said, like, what? Wow. You, you do your thing at night and you go home. You have food for your family. You know what? I lost my dad when I was three years old and these kids they don't deserve a father who hunt at night and bring food from hunting mm-hmm. I want you to be a responsible father and why are you doing that mm-hmm. they said some of us we don't know how to read and write we cannot even enroll our children in school because we're afraid to fill out enrollment forms wow and I said wow I thought I'm just here to teach him how to plant ABZ how to water yeah. the plants how to take care of the organic chicken but this is beyond that. This is deeper. I was caught in a surprise. And I was also caught in the deep of humanity. The time, I couldn't sleep. So I asked the kids. I said, let's, let's play a game. What's your dream in life? The kids said, Ate Cherry, I want to be a driver in Makati because uh, they said Makati is beautiful. Ate Cherry, I want to be a dancer in Japan because, you know, I can marry a Japanese, I can go back in the Philippines, I can build a house for my family. It broke my heart because mm-hmm. there's no problem to be a dancer. There's no problem to be a driver. But the, the dreaming is not present. And yeah. for me, who is a dreamer, there's something wrong in this, that I live in the farm community. So I continued living with them for four years. I did wow. not go for my Fulbright. <laughs> uh, wow, wow. So that story, I said, do I need to be a ma- to have a master's and PhD to create change for these farming communities? Or do I make these people who don't know how to read and write to be my teacher and I'm learning life in the process? So I immersed myself in that for four years and then I built Agrea with the same principle. No matter where in the Philippines, I will go to teach this kind of people. So when I started Agrea in the island of Marinduque, I'm not from Marinduque, but I started it there because of the one island economy. I don't vote there. So political-wise, I'm safe. And the landscape is so small. And when I was going around Marinduque, I was immersing myself in farming community. I would sleep in a farmer house, wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, eat with them, drink coffee with them, listen to their stories, and shut off at 8 p.m. to sleep, right? And I would go to the farming communities, and they would always, like, get tuna, fresh tuna, and they grill it. We sing karaoke. This is Philippines. And we, I drink tuba with all these fisher folks. And I said, 
wow, these people are so genuine. This, this is like the core of humanity. They're so nice, even if they don't have. So when the, the core mission of Agria really is how do I uplift the lives and all my entire team, you know, to uplift the lives of the farmers and fisher folks. It's because they've been so kind to us. They've been farming all day long without even a recognition. Like what you said, Patrick, you thank the waiter, you thank the chef, but you never even thank the farmer and the fisher folk without any recognition of their contribution to nation building, to the economy of the Philippines. So Agri on the Deep Dive is really about teaching these farmers how to dream for nation building, teaching these farmers that Philippines, more than anything else, it's an agricultural country, and these farmers and the fisher folks are the backbone of our country. So that's, that's dignity, that's respect, you know, and the moment you do that, I think business, you know, I always believe in business of doing good and doing well at the same time. So we've been surviving for seven years. And during this pandemic, from 2,000 farmers, we've been working for six years. Now we're 30,000 farmers. We're working despite the pandemic. So that's the premise of, of Agrea. And when we're developing the island of Marinduque, uh, every time I, we would climb, you know, a mountain, go to the farmers. And we said, wow, the Philippines is so beautiful. And the real Filipinos are really so beautiful. You know, the nature, this is the real Filipino attitude in rural communities. And we need to build from this. So we actually have a lot of interns coming from different countries, especially like the diaspora of the U.S. They come to, to really see how is it to be a Filipino because my father is Filipino or my mom is Filipino. I want to discover the Philippines. So every time we bring these people in the farming communities, I discover, wow, I think we're in the right business. We're in the right business of making business with our farmers, mm -hmm. treating them as our partners, not just suppliers. Mm -hmm. So we coined um, zero hunger, zero waste, uh, zero insufficiency, uh, basically, because it's such an um, important aspect of developing the islands in the Philippines, right? Uh, of course, there's sustainable development goals, but... If I contextualize it on something that the farmers could understand easily, because sometimes it's so hard to even explain to them sustainability. How can you explain sustainability to a hungry stomach? That the noise of their stomach is noisier and louder than, you know, than your voice. Right. So when I was explaining zero hunger, this means that this is not physical hunger. You don't you know, it cannot be cured by just eating bowl of rice alone. This is cured because you have a sense of belongingness. We all need to take care of each other. This is what Filipino is all about. And mm -hmm. this is how we farm. And then the zero, in, zero waste, it's teaching the farmers how they can be agent of our environment. Because when the environment is damaged, that's their social security system. Their production and their livelihood is damaged. So they need to understand it in a way that this is my livelihood. If I destroy my livelihood, I destroy my future and the future of my children. And lastly, uh, zero insufficiency, it's basically the foundation of our business. Um, we, I have an economics background, so we study the import-export of the island. And if there's so much importation and we can grow it in the island, we try to grow it. And if there's massive exportation of agricultural products, 
but they need to do value addition. We bank on and invest on value addition. Yeah, for those products. Well, you know, for the audience listening, and if you just listen to that eight-minute, roughly ten-minute story, and you're maybe graduating out of college and you're lost about, you know, what do you want to do? Maybe you have a, a breath of entrepreneurialism in your brain and you're trying to figure out where it works. I want you to go listen to Cherry's story for not just once, not just twice, three times. I mean, she really just absolutely nails it, doesn't she, folks, when she talks a little bit about personal passion, right? The Bright Scholarship was sitting in front of her. She said, why do I need to do that when I can literally impact the people's lives right here, right now? What is a better education than doing that? And from there was born her, her vision for Agrea and so on and so forth. So folks, if you really are lost in your career or you're really lost in thinking about what you want to do, I can't find a better inspirational story than that. But more importantly, and thank you, Cherry, for this, this whole podcast is about improving the citizen experience. And yes, we put it in the context of smart cities, but as you can see here, there's so many different ways of delivering a better lifestyle for Filipinos, which is exactly what we want to do. These are the conversations we want to have. And Cherry, I really love the way you broke it down in terms of what Agrea is trying to do to build a sustainable food system. So thank you. Um, let's get into that, though, because, again, you know, as, as much as I'm smiling and loving this conversation, you know, I, I'll be, a, again, a little honest, I'm a little bit of a dum-dum when it comes to what does what makes and qualifies a sustainable food system? What you know? Let's talk with uh, the food source. How does it shape a city? Like when we think about Metro Manila, and if I'm a farmer right now, as you said, sometimes they can't see beyond uh, you know the hunger that's in their stomachs. How is I a farmer going to help shape the food source and the and the demand for a city like Manila? Help us connect those dots and and see how we can build a, a more data driven sustainable food system i think the most important one is how we utilize data right maximizing data and shortening the gap between the consumers and the producers because right now in the philippines we have five to eight layers of traders so the consumer side is too far from the producers and the producers are are the ones connected to nature actually patrick i will share to you right the reason also why we're so disconnected to our nature because we're so disconnected to our food source mm. If we individually in the Philippines, you know, in Metro Manila, for example, I've been educating people. The more you realize that your food consumption is actually uh, connected to nature, we will never destroy nature. And now we've been destroying our beautiful nature in the Philippines. So how we do that? In smart cities, I always believe that shift to sustainable and healthy consumption patterns very, very important. So it's such a choice. I know we love convenience, especially now everyone is like, you know, always in a hurry. But I think this pandemic slows us down a bit to stay mm -hmm. at home, start cooking, start planting. We have a lot of plantitos, plantitas. I call it hashtag pandemic, plantdemic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really um, making our cities more livable by this simple action of choices in consumerism, choices in growing your own food. And also choices that every time you order online, somehow, hopefully, you make sure you're sourcing local. And second one is, um, another was building resilience and vulnerabilities, right? At the vulnerabilities, for example, um, as consumers here in, in the city of Metro Manila, we know that we have typhoons every year. And if we will just, you know, will not be resilient as people in terms of our food system and making it sustainable, Later on, we have scarcity of food 
which actually mm-hmm. happened end of 2020 when five typhoons mm-hmm. hit the country in two months. Mm-hmm. You know, the price of wood shoot up 10 times more expensive. And those Filipinos who lost their jobs and who were only earning very meager couldn't even afford to buy food anymore. Mm-hmm. So we actually designed some programs in Agria on how to battle it. We work with a lot of um, urban communities that they, they these are ambulant vendors. You know, they don't have daily wages. So we supported more than 100 uh, families uh, in urban and peri-urban. Like for example, Laguna, Bulacan, Cavite. So actually the urban farm. So we distributed grow kits to them. It has seeds, seedlings, organic fertilizer, planting pots for them to start. And the most beautiful story, Patrick, was like, Every day, I receive a picture in our group chat that the women are like, Mom, I cook pansit. And look at my pansit. There's a lot of vegetables. Mom, I cook paksiw na bangos. And the paksiw na bangos has eggplant and ampalaya and okra. Before, it's like paksiw na bangos only, right? So it's, it's a city that is resilient. It's a city that the people are breathing. It's a city that people have pride because they know how to plant. And another one is hopefully we build a smart cities where our people are nourished. Because for me, um, nutrition is such a human right, mm-hmm. at the same time, an economic right. If our mass population in smart cities are malnourished, we, we cannot obtain an economic stability. Mm-hmm. Because you have malnourished kids going to school, they didn't have better comprehension. You know, you have malnourished human capital. So we cannot really achieve a smart city because a smart city should be run by more intelligent people, right? And well-nourished people. So we need to ensure that we have access to nutritious, but also affordable food. As you mentioned in our last, uh, in the first part of the podcast, why organic food is too expensive? You know, somehow though, it becomes a lifestyle. Mm. So I want to espouse this in this podcast. It's because You know, equality and inequality is such a big divide in our choices. Mm. Sometimes if you can afford to live a lifestyle of organic or plant-based eating, things like that, you know, you belong to a lifestyle of a society that they have money. Mm-hmm. But in the food production side, I always tell our farmers, right? Tatay, nanay, every time you eat vegetables, vegetables are not food for the poor people. Yeah. Because they always tell me, mom, we don't have uh, canned goods because, you know, uh, our ulam is only kangkong. Wow, so many vegetarian and vegan friends <laughs> are dying to get that kangkong. Yeah. And you're telling me you're poor because you're only eating kangkong. So it's also a mindset. And another one is, For our smart cities to be driven that they're so connected to the source of their food, hopefully they can, we can create a city that everyone practice urban gardening. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure, it will make our city not just only smarter, but greener, but more livable. And it's a breathing city. It's, it's one of those things, right? You hear about farm the table. That's a, I don't know if you want to call it a trend, but that's, that's something you hear now that restaurants are, are spousing is, hey, we're a farm the table restaurant. We're sourcing from uh, sustainable uh, sources. We're, we're making sure we're taking care of the farmers. That's, that's, that, that started off as a lifestyle choice, certainly, for people who had the money to do it. But at the end of the day, as you said, Uh, you know, the 
poor farmers don't realize they're living like kings and queens because at the end of the day, that's that's what I want to feed my my six month year old baby, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I want that fresh squash that was literally just picked off the ground. You're listening to my digital impact. My digital impact. So let's let's talk about urbanization for a second, a little bit more. Vertical farming, you mentioned a little bit, uh, and that is a growing trend. Is vertical farming closer to urbanization one of the answers to help fix both production uh, as well as the infrastructure and the transportation and mobility problems that we have in the country? Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with doing vertical farming in in the city, not in the countryside, because in the countryside, Mm -hmm. you still have a lot of land available Mm -hmm. for us to cultivate, right? But in the city, of course, it lessens carbon footprint because you shorten the gap of logistics. And at the same time, pr- fresh vegetables can you know, be at your doorstep in, in, in two hours, for example. So I really admire that. Um, hopefully, though, in the Philippines, some of the hurdles in vertical farming is the price of our electricity because mm. electricity in the Philippines is still very expensive. So hopefully, you know, we can avail like an affordable electricity so that it is more scalable for people who are doing vertical farming. Yeah. You know, Terry, you, you've shared such awesome stories with us today. I honestly want to see if we can maybe get you back because I, I think we just probably touched on the tip of the iceberg. But as we ramp this down, I want to really ask you just two more questions if I can. You know, how should we measure ourselves? What when we think about progress, again, it's so hard. Again, you know, one of the things I'm going to make a commitment on after we complete this this podcast and I go eat is do better at thinking about the farms and thinking about my sources. But how do we measure progress? How does the audience measure it? How do we make sure that as a country with smart farming, with more realistic farming, with more respectful farming and building a sustainable food system, how do we measure that ourselves? And then lastly, tell us succinctly. In the next two years in the Philippines, what can we come to expect? Is it is it positive? Is it bad? Do we have a lot of headwinds in our face? What does it actually look like? So what do you think? Okay, Patrick, that's a beautiful uh, two questions, right? Number one is how to measure us as people and our progress. For me, I always believe in progress that is leaving no one behind, you know, that progress is so Filipino because I want to bank on an Urbayanihan spirit that's Filipino. So we always like help each other. We always want to build each other. And hopefully, in measuring our progress, of course, if I want to be tangible, I really want to measure in terms of infrastructure present in our country, right? What are the infrastructure support that we have in living in the city, for example, and also in the, in the rural areas? And then another one is education system. I was reiterating in the whole podcast that we need to educate our farmers, right? Because our education is so little. So progress is how can we create a country that everyone is knowledgeable? How can we create a country that everyone is educated? Because I always believe in the value of education. It's game changing. And third one, I really want to measure that right now, just to give you statistics, there's 7.2 million Filipinos experiencing involuntary hunger. Mm. Meaning, this is not their choice to be hungry. You know, they really don't have the capacity to have food on their table. So how do we measure that uh, after surviving this pandemic, or it's been a chronic problem for decades, that we can see that we graduated, that there's no Filipino who's hungry anymore. 
And number four is there's no Filipino or a child that is not malnourished. You know, Patrick, there's 95 children dying every day based on UNICEF before, not reaching five years old. So for me, how do we take care of the future generation that they have very good fundamentals in terms of their diet and they can see the world the way we wanted to see, right? So those are like the most beautiful measure. And of course, I will measure Patrick. Uh, I need to be radical here. That Filipino resiliency is not measured on resiliency anymore. That we can afford to, to laugh and sing karaoke after every typhoon of our, our after every pandemic. But re- resiliency that demands accountability and responsibility. Accountability and responsibility both from ourselves and from our leaders. Because for me, I feel that we don't really deserve to live like this because we're always like, oh, Filipinos are resilient. It's so abused in a context. Mm -hmm. For me, I want us to be measured in terms of our accountability and responsibility as Filipinos and as leaders. I love that. I love that because you're right. We almost normalize now resiliency of, oh, yeah, that's that's how it is, blah, blah, blah. I love that. That's perfect. So it should be part of measure because it's intangible, but it can't progress in action when we are all responsible and accountable. Because sometimes if we're resilient, we feel, we, we, we don't demand. We don't demand for accountability. We become complacent. That's mm-hmm. why there's no progress. So those are like the measures I want us to measure. But uh, another one is how do you see the country in two years? Two years. Get your crystal ball out. <laughs> what is it going to look like? Are we going to do well? Are we going to pass? I will get my crystal ball. And <laughs> in two years, I'm always a positive um, person, Patrick. I think all of us right now, all the more, uh, because of this pandemic, we just want to survive this and thrive from here. So in two years, I think we have a very different mindset as people. Because of this crisis, right? This makes us definitely grow. This will make us wiser as Filipinos. And this will strengthen how we approach things in the process. So in two years, I think there's so much progress in the Philippines. For example, in agriculture alone, I give you a context. This 2020 is the only uh, GDP result of agriculture that it's positive. In 2019, it was negative 0.5. In 2020, despite volcanic eruption, COVID pandemic, uh, Asian swine flu, and 21 typhoons in one whole year, that's a perfect storm combined. But from negative 0.5, we reach positive 1.6. So given the right circumstance, the right leadership in the agriculture sector, in two years, we'll be okay. And I think all our cities right now, you know, we're trying to build our cities on how we can be pandemic-proof, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully in two years, our leadership should be pandemic-proof. I'm, oh. I'm really... <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We certainly hope so. Gosh, Terry, you know, I had such a wonderful hour here, and I really am kind of bummed that we have to close it out. But we know you've, you know, you're a soldier, and you're on the front line. And frankly, I'm going to be sleeping a lot better tonight knowing what you're doing and the passion that you bring to your job is, is helping at the everyday life of every Filipino, but we're going to let you get back to being that soldier and fighting the good fight. You know, 
I want to thank you so much, uh, Cherry, for for sharing your stories with us. I do want to talk to Angel about maybe you come back on and talking a little bit more, because uh, again, I think we just you know really scratched the surface of it all. Um, but our last question for you, and we'll let you go. Are there any last uh, notes about Agrea and some of your initiatives, or any suggestions for the audience about how we can help ourselves drive the more sustainable future? I'll share with you what my mom told me. I was only six. My mom would always remind me, Cherry, you need to learn how to connect the shortest distance in life. That distance is the distance between your brain and your heart. If you know how to connect the shortest distance in life, you will not only be successful as a person, but relevant in what you do. And you can create significant changes in what you do. So I want to tell our audience that Every morning, try to measure the shortest distance in our life and try to measure how to be a human being before doing. You know, Patrick, every morning, I don't work for one hour. The moment I wake up, Mm. I don't get my phone. I really just focus on how to focus on my being because that one hour is so powerful enough to actually guide us the whole day. And the second one is... I always believe that sustainability starts from every one of us. Sustainability doesn't start from your neighbor, demanding your neighbor to be sustainable and follow sustainability, you know, rules of SDGs. It's not. It's about sustainability of us as human beings. So for me, it's really about how do we build and demand uh, sustainability from ourselves in terms of responsibility, accountability. Because, for example, me and Agrea, I... I make so many big decisions on a daily basis. And one mishap in that decision is a loss of job of a thousand farmers in this island, for example. So every day I focus on what what you will do, Cherry, you know. This decision will not impact you, but it will impact 1,000 farmers with, you know, sometimes 10 children or family members. So it's like a lot of responsibility. So for me, at one point, I asked myself, if I want to build a sustainable agricultural system, since I'm leading, you know, somehow in a company, the sustainable uh, systems, it needs to be, it, it needs to start from me as a leader. It needs to start from every person to be that sustainable person so that we can create sustainable changes in whatever sector you are. Gosh, Cherry, you know, I know you have a day job and all, but you really could have a wonderful career as a uh, podcaster or as a lifestyle influencer (laughs) because it's not just in what you do, but really it's all about your lifestyle and how you manage your life, not just your day job at all. And it's quite clear to us that that you take it all the way. So, Cherry, I want to thank you so much. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Cherry Atilano, president and founding farmer of Grea Philippines. She's definitely going to come back, even if I have to beg, borrow, steal, do whatever to have her back to talk more uh, about farming and uh, what we can be doing better in terms of building a sustainable food system. Cherry, thank you so much, very much. Yeah, thank right. you so much, Patrick. Sublime pleasure is all mine. <laughs> <laughs> mine as well. All right, folks, that's it for this episode of We Built the City, Reimagining Cities for a Smarter Future. If you enjoyed this conversation, please make sure to follow us wherever you listen to this podcast to get updated with new episodes. I'm Patrick Manessis, Chief Data and Analytics Officer. This is my digital impact. Bye, everyone. Cisco is committed to helping Filipino businesses. 
by helping organizations cope with the rapid technological change through sharing Cisco's lessons and how it's been executed within the organization, Cisco will help build a smart city. Cisco can help build a resilient and flexible enterprise as companies bounce back to their own new normal. Email us at insidesales at fbi.net.ph and let's start building together. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.